Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. To alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. Yeah, an interesting uh, philosophical take there from uh, Homer Simpson on society's relationship with alcohol. And sure, maybe it's true uh, that, that we do consume, uh, the broadly speaking, we as a society, too much alcohol. Um, but are these guidelines that were released this week a, a reasonable approach? Uh, new guidelines from the Canadian Center on Substance Abuse and Addiction. Revised guidelines from, I think the last uh, time they did this was 11 or 12 years ago. The advice used to be try to stick to no more than one or two a day. Well, now that's changed to no more than one or two a week, which really for all intents and purposes is pretty much zero. Like this really is a don't drink temperance kind of approach. But again, I mean, if that's what the science says, then that's what the science says. But that's the question, does it? Look, I don't think anyone denies that that alcohol can be dangerous. Alcohol can be unhealthy. Excessive alcohol consumption is linked to all kinds of different health problems and, frankly, societal problems. But do these guidelines make sense? Are they based on sound science? Well, our next guest isn't so sure. Uh, Dan Malik is a medical historian specializing in alcohol and drug policy, the director of the Center for Canadian Studies at Brock University, aboard his website, DrugHistoryCanada.com. He's looked through all of this and finds some of this lacking. Anyway, joining us to talk more about it all is uh, the aforementioned uh, Dan Malik. Uh, Dan, good to have you with us here today. Thanks for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so um, first of all, were you surprised at all to, to see these uh, recommendations this week? Uh, well, I wasn't sur- surprised this week because it's been the second they did a, a public consultation. But when I saw this, uh, the original data in August, uh, I was shocked, I guess, be- at the excessive claims or the excessive restrictions they, they make in this, uh, especially because of the limited scope of the research they they do and the way they represented this as much broader research than it is. So, yeah. Um, uh, I'll explain really briefly. That, uh, when they released this, they said it's based on a study of 6,000 6, studies, but right. they selected out most of those and looked at only 16. So it's not all of the quote-unquote quote science. It's, it's a fairly narrow band of like-minded researchers looking at harm. Yeah, there's a big difference yeah. between 6,000 studies and 16. Yeah, that's a lot of work that was discarded. Right, yeah. so... Yeah. Okay, so they they claim that there's... Well, explain that a little bit further, how they, they sure. managed to claim that there's uh, 6,000 studies here, but that they're really yeah. only relying on 16. Yeah, no problem. So um, when when researchers do these broad um, studies, they're called meta-analysis, so they look at a bunch of um, research and try to select common papers or whatever, they have to set a b- bunch of criteria so that they make sure they're not comparing apples and grapes or something like that, right? Um, but when that happens, uh, you are excluding out research that in other contexts might 
be completely valid and, and solid research. And, and there's a judgment call that happens, and often the judgment call is based upon um, what you're looking for, as well as other, other things that might be slightly more objective. But the, the problem is, in my view, this is an organization that's job is to look for harm, which is okay. I mean, they've done sure. some great work on, say, harm reduction with drug use and stuff like that. But um, when you're only looking for harm, even if you say you're looking for harms and benefits, which they start by talking about, then you focus on harm. So when there's mixed results of research, it's easy to say, well, the research is mixed, which often researchers like to say, which means there's no conclusions. But you say the research is mixed, but, yeah. and then you break towards the harm side, right? And that's what we've seen in this research, along with a selection that emphasizes a certain way of looking at alcohol consumption, which removes it from any social or cultural sort of aspects of how we consume alcohol, which it removes it from all of these what we call confounding factors. So other things you do, like say if you're looking at people who have been drinking for the last 40 years, 40 years ago they were most likely drinking in smoky bars and restaurants, right? So there's an association with that. There's an association with diet, with lifestyle, all of those things. But they're removed from this, and they just focus on alcohol and blame alcohol for effects that um, may not be um, caused by alcohol. Well, that, yeah, that's an important point, is taking uh, all other factors into account when assessing risk. Now, when it comes to cancer in particular, obviously, that's, you know, cancer serious. The word cancer gets people's attention. Yeah. I mean, it's fair to say that alcohol is or can be a carcinogen, but how do we how do we assess properly assess risk when it comes to alcohol and cancer here? Yeah, that's a really tough one. I mean, whenever we're looking at risk, personal risk of sort of a chronic or you know, cancer or something like that condition, uh, you know, those are discussions we have with our physicians who have a better sense of sort of genetic factors and, and our history and our lifestyle and those sorts of things, right? Um, so it, it is really tough. Uh, and it, it's even difficult because it's easier for us to assume alcohol is a problem that should be restricted than, say, red meat or barbecuing, right? <laughs> um, things that have been associated with cancer risk, right? Um, and, and so, and as one person said, you know, you have more likelihood of, uh, you have a higher risk with red meat than with alcohol on some of these conditions, like colorectal cancer, for example, which is one of the conditions they look at. So, it, it, I mean, I can't answer that question because it really is both a personal thing and a really complicated um, sort of set of formulas and incredibly diverse and contested research, by which I mean, science scientists do what they do, which is you know, present evidence, debate, refine, um, argue, and not and it's not doesn't mean that that the research isn't any good. It just means that there are very different ways of interpreting and analyzing uh, the research, especially when it comes to things like nutrition and human uh, human research, because you can't lock humans into labs for thirty or forty years and control all of their inputs and outputs to get some kind of sense of how something affects them, like people do with with rats and things like that, which are genetically adjusted to, to suit certain types of research. So, so it's, it's a near impossible question to answer, but, but it would be useful, for example, to get comparators with other things that aren't so loaded with cultural meaning like alcohol, right? Like food, um, driving your car, all of those things that, that may, like, and, and pollution and stuff like that, that have been, car driving hasn't been linked to cancer, but, you know, you know carcinogens in the air and all of that that other stuff but we don't get that all we get is a focus on alcohol equals harm let's see how much harm it is
without any comparison. Right. There's also, yeah. you know, the when it comes to risk, you know, uh-huh. the idea is something that's high risk or, or low risk, like juggling sponge balls versus juggling knives. But yes. there's also the relative risk. If your yeah. risk of something has doubled, that can sound dramatic, but it doesn't yes. necessarily address the, the question of overall risk, right? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for, for mentioning that because this is one of the challenges with research like this and with the way they've presented this research. So in their study, they have this great table. Well, I say great because it's very evocative it says a lot and the way it says it is kind of a real tell for the panic they're trying to induce in people um because it's two tables uh, alcohol and women and alcohol and men it lists a whole bunch of conditions both cardiovascular strokes and then cancers and other things and then they list the percentage of risk based upon how much alcohol you're consuming they don't i mean you can't really quantify it's hard to to give um absolute risk so what they do is relative so relative to not drinking you increase your likelihood of getting x condition by a certain percentage so if you say 100 percent increased risk it sounds pretty frightening and in their table they make it they put it in really bright red sort of panic red um uh, shading um but then if your risk is really low to start with and you double your risk you have to ask, is it worth an adjustment to your lifestyle to do that, right? Um, And again, I say this is the sort of thing that, you know, some people who know they're at high risk of something, they're already probably going to be managing things like alcohol consumption because it's it's nothing new that alcohol is involved in affecting your immune system and stuff like that. We call it intoxication for a reason. But but it's not, but the terror, I think, or the the fright that they are in, or even just anxiety, I want to tamper my language the anxiety that it induces also has a a negative health effect i've had people say to me i was really worried about this like i was really concerned about my alcohol consumption after this and then i talked to them it's like yeah you don't actually drink that much i don't make clinical recommendations but i was just trying to calm people down um, because that sort of stress and anxiety does have negative health impact right it it, this is documented as well it's sort of a not just a psychosomatic not just like you think you're sick, but actually it can make you, it can affect your immune system and, and things like that. We talk about stress hormones and, and that sort of thing. Um, and on top of that, there's the whole positive elements of, of aspects of alcohol in our lives. So think about the way, you know, and I'm not saying people have to drink, right? But think about the way alcohol can be part of positive social interaction. You know, you go to parties, you bring a bottle of wine, you celebrate um, events with people, you um, commiserate with friends. You know, this is all part of an important social interaction that itself has been has had very strong, dem- strongly demonstrated positive health impacts to the point where um, research on positive social connections suggests that it is more it is more protective on your health than quitting smoking. And I'm not saying people shouldn't quit smoking, but you can imagine just saying having a positive social interaction is more protective of your health than quitting smoking really indicates that if you are telling people to do things that might limit their social interaction or limit the ways they so, they interact socially, it could itself have um, a, a negative um, physical or health effect. 
Well, that's interesting. Now, look, I mean, I, I, I don't deny it. I, I think part of what they're saying is that, look, there's no downside. There's no health downside to reducing the amount of alcohol you consume, whether it's, you know, one drink a day or one drink a week or, or five drinks a day. I mean, sure, that, that makes sense. But I mean, if we're talking about those at the very low to moderate end, somebody who drinks two to four drinks a week versus, say, four to six drinks a week, would there be any kind of observable or statistically significant uh, difference between, you know, the risk of two to four drinks a week or, or you know, the risk of four to six drinks a week? I, I don't think so. Um, and uh, they would argue otherwise because in their recommendation, they say after seven drinks a week, you, I think the word they use, radically increase your risk. And that is really a problematic word because you do not radically increase your risk after um, seven drinks. Um, especially if it's eight drinks, right? Like that's not a radical increase. How would it increase your risk? It just does not work biologically. But um, the other side is that there is some really interesting research on, and, and it's a very contested field, but I think it's important not to ignore it. There's in- research on that suggests that moderate alcohol consumption is more protective than abstinence towards certain types of health harms, right? And, and they are, it is significant. Now, this organization and these researchers have spent a long time trying to discredit that, but it just keeps coming up, right? It just keeps being shown in, in, in research. So, so it's something that is missing here, and it's intentionally missing because that would really complicate this message, right? Because if you're saying zero to two, but zero could be more unhealthy than a drink a day, um, which some of the research suggests, not the research they're using by any means, then then that's a problem, right? Then, then they don't want to say that because that kind of muddies their message, um, which is, as you noted at the beginning, eh, probably you shouldn't drink at all, which is a, is a really problematic message. Well, it is, and I, I think people tune out, right? And, and I, I think there is some cynicism that this creates, which isn't helpful. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, at the end of the day, though, there, there are you know, there is problem drinking, and pe- there are people who do have a problematic relationship with alcohol. I don't think we're, we're benefiting society or the healthcare system if we cut someone from four drinks a week down to two, but someone who drinks in excess, if we can reduce their consumption, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that can make a huge difference. I don't, I don't yeah. know that we're really addressing the root of the problem. Here. I, I, yes, and, and to be clear, this is not about, like, they are not talking at all about addiction or excessive problem drinking, no. because there's no question, as you said. They're trying to convince people that um, even mod- even low and what we consider moderate and the previous guideline moderate amounts uh, of drinking is can be dangerous and can be dangerous to the levels that people should be afraid. That's where this is going. It's like, be afraid. They say, you know, this is the information. Now you know. Um, do as you want, which is a nice individualistic message. But what happens when you create when you try to create this new way of seeing alcohol is you're suggesting what responsible and irresponsible behavior looks like. And if you're doing that, then you're encouraging a judgment on people's drinking, right? Which is the same thing that happened with um, pregnant women having half a glass of wine once in their pregnancy, and people started, like, you know, grasping their heart and pointing fingers, right? Um, And this is a this is a problem because when you create that kind of what we call in my business a moral discourse, a way of talking about health that isn't just health, but it's about a judgment of a person's capacity to be a good person, it cre- and, and this happens, right? Think about the way people view smokers, right? Some people are like, oh, look, what are they doing this? They should know better, right? Like yeah. all that kind of language, and I don't endorse smoking, but I don't judge people for it, uh, I hope, um, it, it does create 
it does create a problem. It creates a potential, for example, for secret drinking, for for people not, um, for people drinking alone, which you know may or may not be a problem. But people drinking in excess alone, or people um, just being afraid of of drinking in public, or people judging other people for behavior that is a, that a rational individual should be allowed to do. Right. So this, there there are direct and indirect negative impacts that then go back to the question of why what it, to the question of why don't people ask what is the harm to advice like this and that's one of the questions i'm asking so we we often think oh it's just health advice but it can have harms and that's that's a, i think a problem yeah absolutely it is we'll leave it there really appreciate the insight uh, on all of this professor malik thanks so much for joining us here today thank you so much all the best oh, there you go that's uh, dan malik professor of health sciences at brock university director of the center for canadian studies he's a medical historian specializing in alcohol and drug policy and has some big problems with the uh, the ccsa guidelines the the agenda he thinks they seem to have the the questionable presentation of the science underlining these recommendations Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.